0: Okay, so I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Um, so I, I've got a, a, a story uh, that just uh, I was thinking about it again. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole whole wide world. It's about the Rizhiner Rebbe, one of the great Hasidic masters. And um, someone came to him. You know, there was sort of like a, a waiting room area before you went to see the Rebbe. And, and one of the Rebbe's young sons was sort of like, kind of, Hanging out, playing in the area. And he, he became a Rebbe himself when he got older. Um, so he was a very sharp, uh, very sharp person, even as a child. And there's a, a, a chassid waiting to see the Rebbe. And he's, wow, he's got a lot of problems. He's got a lot of problems. And um, he goes in to see the Rebbe. And he comes, the, he comes out. And the boy sees that he looks much better. He looks much better. And so the, the son of the Rebbe says to the man, um, what, did, what, did, what did my father, the Rebbe, say to you? And the man said, and you could see that he was visibly relieved, the man said, um, he told me Hashem will help. And so the boy says back to him, what are you going to do until Hashem helps? Right, so so he sees the man. So he sees the man, like his face falls, right? Like, oh, that's actually a good question. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. So so the boy sees that the that the the, the, the man react reacted in that way, and he, the boy says to him, he says, "Go back and ask my father what, what, what you should do." So he goes back in, and then he comes back out, and he's happy again. And the boy says. What did my father say? And the man says that, um, the Rebbe said, until Hashem helps, Hashem will help. So, (laughs) (laughs) so this is, this is all of life. This is all of life. This is all of life. And, 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 uh, and it's, 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 and, a lot, and do you see how it's very similar to what you were saying before? It's, it's kind of, but it's the same story, but it's the opposite, you know? So, in other words, what eyes are we seeing the world with? You know, what eyes are we seeing the world with? And, um, you know, something that I, I, I've mentioned, but it's, it's uh, very, very crucial to, to understanding something, which is that uh, unless you understand deep down, and, and I mean really understand deep down, that God is good, and that there is a happy ending, life is absolutely... Um, you, you, it's, its One will never understand life. One will never properly understand life. And um, because... You know, like, for instance, just to give you a very extreme example. If someone, God forbid, we should all live to 120 and have fantastic lives here. But... If someone were to die a horrible death and even maybe even at a young age or something like that god forbid should never happen to any of us um, so so one could say something like well this is God this is God right and, 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 and on some level that would be a very real understandable reaction right but but don't 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 stop there what, how does that story, which sounds like a miserable story, and is a miserable story, what is the next chapter of that story? Does the book end there? Is, is there another page to that story? The soul then goes up and gets eternal reward and lives forever, right? So there is a break in the action, and it's a very, you know, miserable, messy event, but what is, what is the actual end of that story? The actual end of that story is, and then what about all the people who got left behind, right? Well, hopefully at 120, they then go and reunite with that person and they live forever all happily again. So in other words, in other words, if one doesn't have the actual screenplay in front of them, if one doesn't actually have, if one doesn't stay till the end of the movie, <laughs> one reaches very weird, incorrect understandings of life and of God. You know, Rabbi Nachman said this in his own inimitable way. Um, he tells a story about um, two people. One is Jewish and one is not Jewish. And they're both, uh, they're both beggars, so to speak. And um, it's Pesach. It's a famous story. So, so the, the, uh, the Jewish person says to his, his buddy, who's not Jewish but also hungry, says to him, Listen, tonight is Pesach, and tonight we're going to get a great meal. I'm going to get us invited to a Seder, and we'll be at the Seder, you'll see it's going to be great. And the person's very happy, and they go along, and they, 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 they sit at the Seder table. And so, um, so anyone who's been to a Seder knows that you've got to sit for a long time before the food comes. <laughs> And there's a lot of talking. And, you know, you know, it's, uh, even people who know the food is coming, sometimes it's a real hardship, you know. So this guy who's never been, he's not even Jewish, he's never been to a, a, a Seder before. He's, he's sitting, he's waiting, they're talking, they're talking, there's no food, there's no food. And then at a certain point, they finally bring out some food, he's so happy, and it's the bitter herbs. And he takes a bite of it, and he says, you guys are crazy, and he leaves. Right? But what happened? He missed the feast. He missed the feast, which was coming. Right? So, this is life. In other words, if one doesn't have the big picture, if one doesn't have the big picture, see, imagine, let me just tell you something about screenplay structure. Normally speaking, a screenplay, classically speaking, a screenplay is in three acts. Okay? You've got the beginning, the middle, and the end. Okay? And at the end of the second act, that's when the hero, or the heroine, is in their greatest jeopardy. Okay? And you'll see, if you if you don't know this already, when you watch a movie, you'll see about three quarters through the film, you know, two-thirds through the film, you'll see that it gets, the hero is in the greatest amount of jeopardy. And now, what happens is the hero gets saved. Alright? And that's the end of the film, and how you save the hero, and how emotionally satisfying that is, and all the rest will often determine just how good a movie it was uh, and and how commercial and successful it is. Okay, But that is almost every movie, you should know. And by the way, it's also life. You know, by the way, the Torah is filled with stories. You know, one of the big, very deep, deep, deep questions, deep questions, that's asked about the Torah as it's written is, and it's the first Rashi, all right? This is the very first Rashi on the Torah. It's, why doesn't the Torah start with the first mitzvah? Right? If the, because, because, you know, this is just another aspect of how people really don't understand what the Torah is. But I've only discussed that about 3,000 times, so let me just focus in on this, this one point. Which is, which, is, which is, people think the Torah is a book of laws. And that's not untrue. By the way, it's not untrue. But that's it's way more than that. So, 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 there's a very good question, and Rashi himself brings it, you know, from a thousand years ago, and probably the question is older than Rashi. So, from a thousand years ago, why doesn't the Torah begin with the first halacha? The first mitzvah. And, uh, I'm going to give a, a different answer right now, which is that, I heard from Reb Shlomo, in the name of Rebbe Nachman, Hashem loves stories. (laughs) Hashem loves stories. And uh, Reb Shlomo said that one of the signs that people are aging, and I would add that relationships are aging, you know, between people, is when people stop telling each other stories. Okay? So stories are really stories are really part of what this world is. Um, You see, because a story exists within the fabric of time. You see, if everything happens all at once, there's no unfolding. So there's no story that can take place. You see, I read a review of uh, of a Star Trek pilot. I think it was Deep Space Nine. I'm not positive. And apparently the storyline was the crew of the Enterprise encounter some aliens and the aliens exist outside of time. And the aliens say to, the, to these human beings on the you know, Starship Enterprise, they say, it's so interesting that you don't know what's about to happen. <laughs> That's fascinating. What's that like? <laughs> So meanwhile meanwhile, we can't we can't even fathom existence any other way. But we are within the story. And so what happens is is that is that when the hero at the end of the second act goes all the way down and is it seems like it's curtains, right? The, the person's gonna die. We want the happy we don't want the we don't we don't want the person ever to have gotten into that position to begin with. So now let's think about what that movie experience is right now, right? You walk in. Hey, here it is in the first five minutes. This person's single. Boy, would they like to meet their soulmate. They go for a cup of coffee. It's you. No, it's you. That's a very short movie. <laughs> that's a very short movie. Now, that's, now that's not to say, no, no, let's think this through for a moment. Let's think this through for a moment. That's not to say that therefore God has put all of our woes before us for His entertainment, because Hashem wants to go to the movies. And this world is His entertainment and His movie theater. That's, that's not it. Chas for Shalom, that God should play with us in, in, in such a way. You know, God literally puts an aspect of Himself inside of us. And it says when the Jews go into the exile, the God God's presence itself goes into exile. And that God says, whoa, whoa, that, that the world is broken. Whoa, that the Shekhinah is in exile. So, it says when a person has a headache, God, who doesn't have a body, but so to speak, also has a headache. God is, is totally there with us and going through it all, and it makes sense if God fills the entire world. Our story is His story. So, I mean, you know, remember, the, to bring up the Rishon Rebbe again, the, it's a whole story um, and I won't go into it but, but suffice it to say at, at a certain point the Tsar um, threw him into prison and, and I don't even know what a dungeon in Tsarist in, in Russia looks like I, I, I don't even want to imagine what it was that he was thrown into this man who was a descendant of King David and you know one of the holiest people uh, in the world and it says that when he went into the dungeon, his biggest uh, his biggest pain his biggest pain was the fact that he was dragging the Shekhinah into this dank place. Right? God's presence into this miserable environment. That That's what he felt. Not, I'm in a dungeon. Right? So, so this world is not for God's entertainment. Chas um, nonetheless, we exist within time. We exist within time, and so so our salvation also exists within time, right? Although God can bring it any moment, God can bring it at any moment. So what I'm saying is is that the Torah begins not with the first law. But with, the, with, but, but with a story in order to alert ourselves that we, in fact, it says breishis bara Elokim in, in the beginning. And I heard in the name of the Vilna that when it says in the beginning breishis bara elohim that what, what is that? God, that's, that's the description of God creating time. Right? Because stories unfold through the element of time. The world, reality, unfolds through the element of time. So, so we have to understand that, and uh, and uh, so so so. Meanwhile, well, there are a lot of thoughts there, but let's uh, let's digress for a moment, or uh, go into <clears throat> go into uh, Parsha Shoftim. Which is um, which is one of the parshas that uh, leads up to the new year, and um, and and I want to say over uh, some torahs that I I, I saw from uh, a transcript uh, from Reb Shlomo and give, bringing down the the Ishvitzer Rebbe, uh, one of the great Hasidic masters, um, a, a description of, of of what's going on here. It says that. Um, that uh, it says, "Shoftim v'Shutrim Titen Lecha judges and officers shall you appoint in all your cities, in all your gates. Um, and uh, and then later on, it goes on to say, talk about how the Jewish people um, have a mitzvah to to make a king, to put a king uh, over them. Of course, in the deepest level, that's talking about Hashem, and um, the whole history of our relationship with our kings and everything like that is another chapter. But the actual mitzvah itself to make a king is in the Torah itself. So the Ishvotzer talks about this progression of going from making a judge to making officers to making a king. Okay? And he he describes it in a very deep way. And you should know that all of the masters really are discussing all of these chapters, um, especially the beginnings of all these chapters, all with the understanding of the fact that we're in the month of Elul, and that we're all zooming toward Rosh Hashanah. So all of this is, is, is very kind of like character-related in terms of our own personal uh, personalities and midos related and really refining ourselves and getting ourselves ready. See, you know something? I think what I'm about to say might sound obvious, but maybe you haven't heard it in this way. It sounds, it sounds new to me, even though when you think about the thought, it's not, it's not, such, a, uh, it's not such a radical thought. But maybe the, the, the phrasing of this will make us realize what's been going on all along, anyway. Which is that, um, I think, one of the things about Elul, because Elul, again, is that month before Rosh Hashanah, before the, before, when, when Hashem sort of announces the plan for the new year, basically, or conceives the plan for the new year. And we all want that to include the best things for, for us and the whole world and our families and all the rest. So the thing is, is that Elul is a time to shift the world. In other words, if everyone is doing a little bit more or doing what they're already doing a little bit better, the entire world gets shifted. And now, where we are, like, like it's sort of like, um. imagine, uh, imagine, um, the house is a mess. Or your room is a mess, right? And you're, you're, your 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 parents is coming home to see what your room looks like. <laughs> okay, this is an inexact parallel since God is always there. But anyway, just go with me for a moment. And your room is an absolute mess. Now, when when uh, when your when your mom shows up to look at your room, if it, it's an absolute mess. The mom says, well, you know, we were gonna go for ice cream, but I see that, you know, it's 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 it doesn't make any sense to do that right now because you, you haven't got it together. Because that's a reward, you know, and you know. So but what happens if like you're like, wait, there's another five minutes. I can absolutely pull this together. <laughs> and you quickly throw this stuff and organize this stuff and everything like that, you know? And uh and then your mom walks in and goes, "Hey, the room looks great. Let's get that ice cream." Right? So imagine if everyone in the world is cleaning up their room. Right? So then God looks at the world and says, "Hey, you guys are doing pretty good. Ready for the next level." Right? So 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 it's 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 kind of like the home stretch before the before the um before God sort of like decides where we're at and what, what the new plan should be because the new plan is sort of dependent on where we're holding right now, right? You know, in other words, if someone has mastered algebra, you don't go, okay, you know what we're going to do in math next year? We're going to do algebra again. Because if it's clear that we know algebra at this point, then we move on to another subject, right? So so this is our... Elul is that, is that opportunity to demonstrate to God that, you know something, whatever this particular challenge is, I'm either past it or, you know, I've got it under control or I've got a plan, a very practical plan in place to address it so we can get on to the next business. Okay? So again, if everyone in the world is doing that, then that, that's, that, that's really good for the world. So Elul is, think of it on a more global way, Elul is like really good for that, you know? Okay. So again, all of these Parsha's now leading up to Elul, are different ways that the rabbis are recommending and the Rabbis are recommending in order for us to shift the world into that sort of like better place so that we can, that we can make more progress in a, in, a, in a good way. Okay. So, so the Yishwitzer Rebbe, so Reb Shlomo says in the name of the Yishwitzer Rebbe, that what does it mean, um, what, what is, what's the level of judges? What's the level of uh, police officers? And what's the level of a king? Okay? So, so this gets deep. This is really interesting, I think. Um, a, a, A judge is that first a person has to know the difference between right and wrong. Okay? Which makes sense. The first thing you have to know is the difference between right and wrong. Because how can I do right? How can I do wrong? On a consistent level, sometimes I can do what feels right to me, and sometimes that will be right, but that's a very, that's a very scattershot approach to life. See, this is one of the great things, and um, uh, I heard uh, rabbi Gross say this one time explain it very well, which is it says that the, um, that, the, um, that the tablets were carved, right because we know that God carved the tablets. It was like with the finger of God. Again, God doesn't have a body, but so to speak, with the finger of God, God carved the the tablets of of the Ten Commandments of the Torah. And then the rabbis look at this word, this Hebrew word for carved, and it's very closely related. It's basically the same word as freedom. So they say, no, don't read he carved them, but read he made us free through them. So, okay, all that's good, but it needs a bit of an explanation. Because if you carve something, how is that free? In fact, a carved thing isn't going to move. It seems like it's the opposite of free. Right? Because if you carve, you know, the letter Aleph into stone, that letter Aleph isn't moving. How did you free that Aleph? So so the explanation is like this. Human beings are inherently neurotic, okay? Which means that we're always kind of like second-guessing ourselves. Is this right? Is that right? right Maybe that's the right thing. Maybe that's the right thing. Maybe that's the right thing. I don't know what the right thing is. But once morality itself becomes carved, once we know what right is and what wrong is, then we can free our minds from trying to figure that out and now we can do the proper action. Okay, I'll either do this or I'll do that. Hopefully I'll be able to do the right thing. It's not always evil. You're not always able to do the right thing. But knowing what the right thing is is a tremendous tremendous gift and very, very, very freeing. Okay, so the very first thing a person has to know, and this is the level of judges, right? Put a judge over yourself. That means know the difference between right and wrong. So a person has to give themselves an education, they have to find out what halacha is, they have to find out what the mitzvahs are, and things like that. Have to know the difference between right and wrong. Okay, that's number one. Number two, what does it mean to police officers? Because you know something, once I know the difference between right and wrong, then I've got to make sure that I do the right thing and not the wrong thing. I have to be an officer over myself, right? It's sort of like, yeah, wow, wow. Just a dollar for that cheeseburger on Tuesdays, <laughs> you know? That seems like a very good deal. All right, so, so you have to, once a person knows I'm not supposed to eat that, or eat that there, right? Then a person has to make sure that they're doing the right thing. Okay, so that's the, that's the level of an officer over yourself. Okay. Now we get much, much deeper. Now sort of like it goes, whoa, way, 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 way further in this. Okay. So I know the right thing. And hopefully I'm in a state where I'm enacting the right thing. Okay? So far, so good. But now listen to this. What happens when you get surprised? What happens when something, quote, unquote, comes out of the blue? And you don't know how to react? And you don't have time to discuss it with a rabbi? or a friend, or someone who knows something, and you have to do something in the moment, right? Because, you see, this is, this is the beauty of real, real Torah. Because, and this is Ishwitz. I mean, this is really getting into, well, wait a second, you know, life is in a textbook. And I want to know what to do in the non-textbook moments, because isn't that really, oftentimes, the real battleground in my life, right? So, so, um, so the Ishwitzer says like this, How can you make sure that you're doing the right thing when you don't know what to do? When you get surprised. And when you don't necessarily have time to learn it through with someone. You know, by the way, it's a slight digression, but um, kind of on the subject. But we'll get back to it. Um, I heard from Reb Shlomo that, you know, you see, sometimes the greatest um, uh, act of holiness is to serve God in secret, right? We're familiar with that, like the idea of giving tzedakah tzedakah charity anonymously, right? But sometimes the greatest way to serve God is to serve God very publicly, right? Which is to stand up and say, you know something, I'm donating this building and it will have my name on it and everything like that. And that's actually the Torah thing to do at that moment. The rabbis discussed this. This is not up for debate. The question is, when, when, when is when is which? When is it the biggest mitzvah to do a mitzvah publicly so that everyone sees? And when is it to do it secretly? So, so, Rabbi Shlomo says, this a person needs a Rebbe for. One of the reasons a person needs a Rebbe for is to know when to serve God in secret and when to serve God publicly. Very, very interesting. Very interesting idea. Okay, so... So let's get back to the topic. What do you do when you get surprised and you don't know what to do at that moment? You've got a judge over you, right? You know the difference between right and wrong. You've got an officer over you. You even have the ability to to discipline yourself to do the right thing at the right time. But now all of a sudden I got surprised and I don't know what to do. It's in the moment and I can't discuss it with anyone. So... So the example that Rip Shlomo gives is you're walking down the street and someone yells something terrible to you from a car. So maybe the holiest thing to do at that moment is just to ignore it and keep on walking. Maybe the holiest thing to do in the moment is to stand up and to say something to them. Back. What do you do? Okay, so the Yishvitz Rebbe says, for this you need a king over you. So what is this level of kingship to have over you? Because remember, the Torah makes this progression. Judges, officers, king. Okay? What does it mean to have a king over you? Now, what that means is that the Torah... You see, you have to know something. There's, the Ischvitzer points out that the king had to have a Torah on him at all times. Did you know that? He had to write a Torah that was literally attached to him. And it was either around his neck, hanging around his neck, or it was strapped to his arm. Okay? there are different opinions. Okay? But a king had to have a safer Torah on his body at all times. Very interesting. In addition to having one that, that was in the treasury, so to speak. Okay? So a king has his Torah on him at all times. So what the Ishwitzer learns from this is that a person has to have the Torah Permeated in his consciousness like a king having a Torah on him at all times to such an extent that subconsciously he knows how to react in those instances when he's caught by surprise very amazing very amazing so that I know the right thing to do I'm doing the right thing but now I'm caught by surprise and I don't know the right thing that's when the person's subconscious kicks in Because the king, the subconscious, is holding the Torah at all times and what you do at that moment is going to be the Torah thing. But how does a person get to that level? Right? Now listen to this. So Rip says something. He says, the way a person gets to that level, and of course this is a process, what I'm about to describe is a process, is by making the Torah the most important thing in their life, consciously. You see, You see, a lot of people. You look at them from the outside, and maybe they've been keeping the Torah. Maybe they've been keeping Shabbos their whole life, and maybe they're ostensibly very good Jews, quote unquote, whatever that means. But it's also possible that someone can be keeping Shabbos, and it doesn't permeate them. It's not. It's not in their hearts, really. They're kind of just going through the motions even as they're keeping it very carefully and very diligently. But it's not permeating them. So it has to permeate. The the mitzvahs, the Torah itself, one's relationship with God, has to permeate a person. It has to saturate them. Because if it saturates them, and the only way it saturates a person is if it's the most, or the primary way, is if it's if it's the most important thing in the world to the person, then they can rely on the fact that when they're caught off guard, they're going to do the right thing. Okay? So, this is all in the most idealized, best-case examples, but the, the, the paradigm, the, the, the model, for sure is true. So let's, let's explain this a little bit more still. You see, Rev Shlomo... Gives an example. Someone uh, collecting money comes into the room and this person gives him a dollar and that person gives him a dollar. But what's the reality? It looks the same, right? I'm, I'm watching from where I am. He gave him a dollar, he gave him a dollar. But what's, what's, what's the story that I didn't see? This person gave him a dollar and that person gave him his last dollar. Oh, that was t- <laughs> two radically different acts just took place in front of me. From the outside, they seem to be the same thing. But two very different stories just played themselves out in front of me. So it is with the person who, we're just using this example of Shabbos right now. So it is with the person who's keeping Shabbos. This person is keeping Shabbos. He's not doing the lights. He's done all of his shopping beforehand. All of his meals are prepared beforehand. All of the rest, right? This person is keeping Shabbos, and this person is keeping Shabbos. But it's it's almost two different worlds. The way this this second person in the example is keeping Shabbos is so much deeper. It's so much more beautiful. It's. All of the observances are, are permeated with a sense of Shabbos. You know, I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of the Carlina Rebbe, he said, the Carlina Rebbe said, I know where I can get chicken for Shabbos and I know where I can get fish for Shabbos, but where can I get Shabbos for Shabbos? You understand? See, Shabbos isn't just, I'm not turning off the lights. See, there, there are a lot of people who just, they, they, they don't understand Square one. Oh, Shabbos, you mean you sit in the dark and don't tear toilet paper, right? That's what it means to keep Shabbos. They haven't got a clue. They haven't got a clue. I mean, anyone who's been fortunate enough to really experience Shabbos, and, you know, if if you've never been to the Happy Minion in Los Angeles, I I, I definitely recommend it. You know, I'm not saying it's the be-all and end-all, but it's a place where you really feel joy. People are... Celebrating Shabbos, they're celebrating it. They're not just observing it; they're celebrating it. And and uh, and there are many other places around the world where this takes place. Um, but 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 the but the point is the point is that if this is the most important thing to you, then it permeates to the level of your subconscious, and it permeates to the level of of a king carrying a safer Torah at all times so that when you don't know what to do your instincts kick in this level kicks in and you end up doing the Torah thing now I'll give you another example which I think is an awesome example of this I heard this story from Rabbi Aaron of Israelite and I don't know if he was there and witnessed it or he heard it from someone who was there I don't know but, but here's the story the story is now whether you know this or not on, on Shabbos one of the laws of Shabbos is you can't make a tent Okay? That's just what it is. And so, one of the expressions of that in this world, in our life, is opening an umbrella on Shabbos. That is, that is the paradigm of making a tent. And it makes sense, if you think about it. It's, you're making a tent. There wasn't a covering over your head, now there's a covering over your head. You made a tent. So that's what... It's a tent. So, 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 so one, of the, one of the mitzvahs of Shabbos is, don't open up an umbrella on Shabbos, because you're making a tent. Okay. That's what it is. So, so, and of course, there are deeper things than all the rest, but let's just, uh, but I'll tell you something beautiful just on that level. And this story obviously doesn't take place on Shabbos, um, but the Labavitcher Rebbe was walking in the rain, and someone asked him, you know, how come you're not opening an umbrella? Again, this was not on Shabbos. He said, why, why aren't you opening up an umbrella? And he says, because the rain is Hashem's chesed and kindness and, and blessing to this world. Do I want to make a, a separation between myself and Hashem's blessing? So he, he didn't use an umbrella. Now, if you want to use an umbrella, don't feel as though you're like some like evil person because you use an umbrella after hearing that story. But it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful connection, that's all. It's a beautiful thing. Okay. But on Shabbos we don't, we don't use umbrellas. Okay, fine. So Reb Shlomo was at the hotel. All right, on an Shabbos, and it's raining, and he's talking to a group of people, and there's someone there who's very new to all of this and doesn't know the various mitzvahs and things like that, which is most of us, you know, and so as a sign of respect, as a sign of love, he opens up an umbrella, and he holds it over Reb Shlomo. Okay. Now there's some people who witness this, as you can imagine, at the hotel on Shabbos, and start screaming, right? Like, And Rip Shlomo doesn't say anything to this person. Okay? Just kind of allows the abuse to come his way. So someone asked him afterwards, Why didn't you say anything to that person? And Rabbi Shlomo says, because under those circumstances, in front of the people who I was talking to at that moment, I would have publicly humiliated him, and that would have been akin to murder. What he had done, he already did. Now that's a very exalted state of consciousness. And this is coming from someone who knows the halacha. It's a very exalted state of consciousness, How did he know? How did Reb Shlomo... Now, this is me talking right now. This is my own personal analysis. That's the end of the story. How did Reb Shlomo know that that was the right thing to do as he's in a very pressure-filled situation? He's at the Kotel, which is Judaism's holiest site. On Shabbos, the holiest day, there's a flagrant violation of of of, of Jewish law happening. There are people yelling, or at least one person yelling, at that moment, how do, you, how do you know what to do at that, at that moment, right? So this is the idea of the king stepping in, right? What do you do when you're thrown off guard? But Reb Shlomo loved people, human beings. He loved human beings. He saw the godliness in human beings. This was something that was part of his everyday consciousness, his everyday awareness, and it was so real to him, the preciousness of every single person. It permeated his consciousness. So that when this surprise thing happened, it's not like, well, so, you know, he's thinking, should I, should I this, that, should I, I don't know. He's running through the various pros and cons in his mind. It's a human being who's about to be decimated and humiliated. Of course I don't embarrass him. Because it permeated him. Because he loved people. So, so this is us. This is us. If we love something, if, if we love God, if we love the Torah, if we love each other, in a real way, not just, ah, whatever, I'll do my best. Well, we all have to do our best. That's all we can do anyway. But you, you understand what I'm saying. In a half-hearted one. Then it doesn't get all the way to the level that it needs to get. And you know, you know, I heard um, when I was a kid, I think I was in elementary school at the time, I saw a poster on the guidance counselor's wall <laughs> that had this on it and I never forgot it. I always thought it was very good. It said, or maybe, I, I don't know where I saw this, I think it was there. It it, it said, um, life is a very um, uh, difficult teacher. Something like that. It gives you the f- test first and teaches you the lesson second. Because oftentimes, you know, in, in the standard way in, in classes, right? I'm sure you all get it, but I'll explain it anyway. First the teacher teaches the lesson and then you study the lesson and then you get a test on it, right? But life is often not that. Life is often you get the test first and then you figure out what I should have done afterwards. Right? So so how can you pass the test without getting the lesson? Ah, so we're learning how to pass the test without getting the lesson. Because the test often is that thing we're not prepared for. Not always, but sometimes. And then we have to react in the moment. But if we've done our homework, so to speak, if we've... Permeated our essence with, with our love of God and love of Torah, right, then we can be confident that at that moment something good is going to come out, right? And of course, everything is a learning experience, you know? You know, Oh, this doesn't happen like, okay, now I'm, now I'm prepared, I got my force field up, okay, got that off the checklist, you know? I don't know that it's so simple, but, but it's a process. We should at least be aware of the model. We should at least be aware of the model. And then we strive toward it. Right? Okay, so, Shem should bless us with just a great Elul. should get our rooms cleaned up (laughs) in these uh, final moments and and just uh, blessings and great things for all of us. Okay.